Welcome to another episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis, and I'm here with Chris Bell. Hello, hello. And I'd like to apologize for our unplanned hiatus. Things just got really hectic over the holidays and with our planning and execution for Scarab, which we went to to run games for to advertise for ShushCon. Speaking of which, Chris, what's coming up? ShushCon. ShushCon, ShushCon. And what is ShushCon? ShushCon is our free convention we host here at the library. Uh, It will be running from March 27th to 29th, the last weekend of March. And the first half of that Friday, the 27th, we do uh, training every year. And this year we're focusing on video games. So we'll be covering everything you would like to know about bringing games into your school or library as far as managing your collection. Do you want consoles or PCs or focus on mobile gaming? We've got a whole bunch of stuff going on, and I think that if it's something you want to know about, or if you'd like to come and present, we've got a little bit of time for some presenters to come in if you want. Uh, just let us know. And once again, you can hit us up at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com or at my work email, ddennis at gtcounty.org. And it will be about a four to five hour like session, all untold. Starts at 9 a.m. We send everybody to lunch at 1 p.m. We have snacks and frosty beverages. All right. Absolutely. So, so enough about that. Uh, you know, we'll talk more about Shushkan probably at the end. But we had this great idea. Let's <laughs> go and do a thing and, and advertise our convention at somebody else's convention because we like the folks who run the Scarab Gaming Convention in Columbia, South Carolina. It's about two and a half hours away from us. So we figured lots of gamers who might want to come play with us will be there. And there were lots of gamers there. Uh, and it may have contributed to us doing almost nothing else for the last two months. Right. Yeah. And so it was pretty pretty cool. I think it was the best organized one of the scarabs that I've been to in a while. Everything seemed to go off like clockwork. Uh, I think it may be because the new folks who were managing it got to flex their muscles a little bit because uh, it's, it's a lot of the same people, but sort of the conductor of the train has changed. And... He'd been doing it for 12 years, and Dell, thank you very much for starting Scarab. Love it. Uh, but, you know, if you've been doing something for 10 years, maybe letting somebody else take a running leap at it isn't a bad idea. Fresh perspective always helps. And so we went to Scarab to run a big event, something bright and shiny and showcasey that would attract a lot of attention, draw people over to our table, and meet people go, ooh, that sounds like fun. We want to go to ShushCon. Did we succeed, Chris? Um... Maybe. We got a lot of people to come and, you know, look at her stuff. Some of them came and played her games. Right, right. So, instead of the normal one table that you use for role-playing games, Chris and I took over two of their round tables. Sadly, they were not as big as we were told they would be. Yeah, that was uh, a bit unexpected. Made us have to squeeze things in a little bit more. Right. Um, But it was kind of cool. So, we did a whole bunch of 3D printing coming up. and We basically 3D printed out of town. And we did something else. What did we do? We built a tower. Right. And it is several feet tall. (laughs) I mean, it's four to five. It's probably like four and a half feet tall and like a foot and a half wide. Um, Yeah, it's it's just over a foot wide and and about four feet tall, uh, give or take with the top, I think. Um, Yeah, it has a cap. I don't know exactly. We didn't measure it, but there will be pictures or links to pictures in the show notes because we love it so much. And we want to share it with you. So, how did we build the tower? What did we use to build this tower? Uh, we used 
insulating foam. So like pink insulation foam. I I don't actually know what it's called. All right. So it's an extruded polystyrene, I believe. Mm. And you can find it at your home improvement store. Ours is the pink one with Pink Panther and it's solid. And you can cut it up with like a box knife or a craft knife. But what we used was hot wire foam cutters, a variety of them. And sometimes we use the uh, Proxon foam cutter. We also used the hot wire foam cutter from the foam factory mm-hmm. and, and it, a bunch of stuff to cut this thing up. And we went through, I don't know, $30 worth of foam just for this tower. That's right. We maybe, went through maybe more. a lot more for a second part of the project, um, though we just ran out of time for that. A little too ambitious. Right. Well, that'll be repurposed to something else, so <laughs> that doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, but it's cut, it's foamed. All the bricks were individually made. Uh, we textured them, we stacked them, we painted them. And then the whole premise was that we were going to take one of our favorite game systems, or at least one of mine. I, I kind of leveraged Chris into it. It is a lot of fun. Uh, called a Dungeon World based on the Apocalypse Engine. And we were setting an entire series of games based in this town that was appearing over time and growing up. And the tower was building and growing over time as well as, as, as the scenario has passed. And then at the end, the players destroyed the whole thing. Yeah. I guess it's kind of important to point out, because uh, we just haven't, the tower is modular, so every floor is a removable piece, so you can take the tower and just have one piece in the center, so the players are on, like, the third floor or whatever, or you can just take the top, you know, four levels off, so the players can play on the bottom or something. Right, right, right. And uh, and then when we were having it being built up, we'd put a floor down and then we had extra bricks that we would stack around it. So it would look like the next level was under construction. That's right. And it was, it was pretty, pretty special. And a lot of folks came to our table as time was going on and they would paw through the bits and they go, Ooh, what's this? And we'd hand them a Shushkon flyer or a bookmark because, you know, libraries, we got to have bookmarks, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And we've also found out that this is the time of year where Libraries don't have a lot of bookmarks at the front desk, or at least ours. So uh, our bookmarks are going like hotcakes at the front desk. They really are. Right now, even to people who don't care at all about gaming, but we're hoping they take them home and pass them off to people who they find who like gaming. But Good advertising. So, well, sorry about the beeping sound. There's nothing we can do about it. Hopefully it isn't making it to the microphone. (laughs) Um, But I will say that... uh, one of the things that we had people stopping by the tables when we weren't there going through our stuff, we were in the middle of running a game and I had a guy come over and pick off the top of the tower and start going through it while I was running a game at the table. With that happened players. to me too. People were taking apart the tower while the players were playing in the tower. Yeah. Please and don't do that. You can look at it, but if we're running something... I, different show. This is this is yeah. librarians who will be suffering through this with <laughs> us. They're, these are not the offenders. Uh, yes, I just, know. you know, general practice. If someone's using something, don't just tear it apart. But we may resend this episode out to the Honor RPGs podcast as well, since it's all RPG content. And we've been light on episodes there, too. Uh, while I was out at the craft store, I found a big dome, half circle or half globe. And I was like, this looks like it might be the right size for the tower. I bought it on spec, brought it back, and I was like, it is exactly the right <laughs> it size. It's the perfect size. So instead of building crenellations, it has what looks like an observatory dome on the top, which is particularly appropriate for our wizard's tower. Um, and now it looks like a giant copper top battery. Looks like something else, really. It really, yeah, it does. <laughs> 
So it was neat. The whole premise was this ongoing series of adventures that people didn't have to play through over the, you know, you don't have to play from one to the next to the next because each scenario was pretty much standalone. We didn't expect folks to play the same characters. And yeah. some of them were separated in time by hundreds or thousands of years. I um, mean, even the closest ones to each other uh, very easily could have been a decent amount of time in between each other. Right. Except for one which went straight from the, hey, we have to set up for the invasion that's happening in the next scenario. Um, all of them, yeah, all of them could have been sort of mm -hmm. scattered about hi higgledy-piggledy. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole plan was for players to be able to drop in and out and not necessarily to play through them all, but to get a little bonus if they did. Um, and so it was neat. At the last minute, I was like, oh, we need trees. So a week before the event, <laughs> I bought a bunch of trees. We created a bunch of scattered terrain so that at the beginning for the first scenario, when they got to where the tower was, it was all trees and mountains and stuff like that. And they did the, they were going to do the final encounter. Unfortunately, this is one that they didn't, that didn't, no, it ran. We were in this one. Yes. Um, and then each scenario, we moved some of those tree figures or, <laughs> or scatter out of the way and replaced them with buildings or whatnot. And so it was neat to see the landscape. And I wish we had taken photos between each session specifically for the purpose of, of recording the growth of the tower of the town of Cadastral. That would have been kind of neat. So. Um, so we did mention we also had two tables. On our second table, we had up a perpetual uh, cavern using dragon lock tiles. Right, right, right. And I think most of the ones that we used were from Fat Dragon Games. They're a dungeon starter set and their cavern starter set. And because of the nature of our world, which is built on the body of the dead god, we painted the cavern tile set so that you could go, oh, that's a very interesting stone pattern or the Oh my gosh, are we going through a thing? <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's, it's fleshy. Yes, yes. And it had a really neat effect because the transition between that and the gray cut stone of the dungeon tiles made a fairly stark contrast, which was unintentional when we first did it, but we took full advantage of it. Yes, once later. we realized it, we leaned into it hard. So, Which is pretty much what Dungeon World is all about. Uh, a long time ago, we talked about using a microscope as a way to build a world. All of this was set in one of the events listed in that world yes. that we did, and it was pretty darn cool. Uh, yeah, basically all the background we did with a microscope game we played months ago, like mm -hmm. six months ago. It was almost, it was at the beginning of summer, I think. Yeah, it, oh, quite a while back. And so that was neat. Heck, it may have been before last Shushcon. I don't it, know. It may have been close to a year ago. But, um, yeah. So we try never to let anything go to waste around here. <laughs> I think some of the keys to making an event like this work, and unfortunately not all of our se sessions made, which means that we potentially had holes in our ongoing plots. But since we had playtested the game previously, we brought in stuff from those sessions. Or... We instead, like, I had missed a session, and it was my favorite session, and I was mm -hmm. coming in to do the next one, and we smashed scenarios together, which was particularly creepy to some of the players. <laughs> uh, and so I think the, the way to make this work is if you are running a game or having somebody run a series of games at your uh, school or library or whatever it is, is, is be ready for players to drop in and out. Yes. Uh, that was the entire plan, was it was a story that players could drop in and out 
kind of the reason we did uh, Dungeon World. I honestly, I would not recommend Dungeon World for a contigu- contiguous story. That um, that was tough in places. I don't know what he's talking about. Mm. Disagree completely. Uh, right, so. because he didn't have to run the scenario after he almost killed everybody and nope, everything. But I would have, and it would have been great. And yours went well, too. So <laughs> I had no, had no complaints. People had a lot of fun in your sessions. Mm. So uh, Now, one thing is I, I really kind of screwed up one of my scenarios when I was running it, <laughs> is you have a group of murder hobos. And <laughs> what that means in gaming parlance, if you're not familiar with it, is players who are there to kill stuff and take their things. All right? Yeah. We're going to go kill the orcs. We're going to crawl through the dungeon. We're going to kill stuff. That's that's what they're there for, is their power fantasy of, hey, we're going to accomplish stuff. Yes, and, the shopkeep mildly inconvenience me. Let's take all this stuff and kill them. Right. The people who are used to playing video games and getting away with murder yeah. or that kind of thing. So, um, and some parents, or I don't think it was their parents, but they were certainly old enough to be parents um, who were playing in the session. And it went into sort of a surreal dream la- landscape, <laughs> lots of symbology, lots of this is what was going on. Um, in the end, I think most of the players had a lot of fun, but I didn't signal forward. This is what is happening. This is, by the way, this is wacky. Do wacky things. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're playing in a game or you're running a game, you want to sort of emphasize to people doing something, even if it is the wrong thing, is always going to be better than not doing anything. And if you've got players or GMs who are willing to sit there and go, well, what's going on? then it is going to go horribly wrong. Even if they didn't understand what they were doing, they weren't leaning into the mythic poetry of the, hey, we are in the dream of a dead god. Mm-hmm. You know, do something. Make it go weird. Make it go exciting. Make it go big, big, big. Yeah. Because then people will get excited about what's going on. Um, also, on a similar note, if you're running a game with people like murder hobos, um, even if it's not necessarily the way you thought your game would run, lean into what they want to do. If they want to kill stuff, give them a lot of stuff to kill. I mean, right. and um, even if it's not what you expected to do, you will find they had a lot of fun doing that thing. Um, even if it's not where you thought it would go. I mean, lean into what the players are looking to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was not prepared for them to kill as much as they did, but they had enough fun to come back again. So the good news is, that when we had it set up so that they had to kill the god of the elves who created the elves and made sentient life on this dead god, and you know, this world, mm-hmm. they were willing to do it. Oh, they leaned into it hard. We we had no, no reason to expect <laughs> that if we put something in front of them that we wanted them to kill either so they would have the, the glory of doing so or the ignominy of having killed the wrong thing that that they weren't going to do it. They were going to do, <laughs> oh, killing is a way out of this? Let's do that thing. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, it, it was unexpected. So I think a couple of things uh, we'll do in the future uh, when I go to a convention like this is if we have a big, beautiful set piece like this, we want to get it out of the noisy center of the room. We want to put it either right up front of the room so when people are walking in, they're going right past it. Mm-hmm. Or we want to put it out in the hall so that we can hear people talking because mid-afternoon on Sunday, I couldn't hear what was going on in the room. Oh, they it was hear me. so loud. It's when I was running my surreal, you want to be subtle and quiet scenario. Poor choices on my part, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I nearly lost my voice on the second day. It was 
busy. And, and you know, and a lot of that has to do with the space. But I think if if they put some of the role players over in one of the other small rooms where the miniatures were, and then they had the great big open miniatures tables in that big room, then then it might help with the noise a bit. Yeah, I stopped by the Pathfinder's room. They had their own space, and it was significantly quieter. Right. Even though they had a whole lot of people in there, uh, those were folks who were there to do a game and to focus on that game. And mm, yeah, so less just messing about. Mm. So uh, what else? Is there anything else we learned from this event? Um, I would say if you're going to alternate a story back and forth, connect them looser. Yeah, we were pretty loose. Yeah, but... It, <laughs> but you if, want it to be as loose as possible. If you're going to have two GMs going, uh, you know, Actually, back and forth, don't. That is that is a great point. Is I think that the way to do it is per, perhaps to um, have one person run like two sessions and then mm-hmm. the other person run like two sessions and so forth. And, or maybe even I'll do all of mine up front and then you do all of yours afterwards. Yeah. And then that way... I can say, by the way, I'm handing you this world and you have to deal with one set of consequences instead of every time my players left the table, with the possible exception the first time, the world did not end up even close to the situation that we thought it was going to be in. Right. And it snowballed from there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's sort of the point, right? Is yes. No. And I, realistically, that was Dungeon World. Dungeon World is not really meant to have. It's very permissive. Um a hard story it's meant to here's your starting point good luck on the ending yeah 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 um also i think we should have done more character pieces in our stuff Mm -hmm. but once again we didn't know where they were going to go or how they were going to end up so um hmm. i don't know um so what are some of the wild uh, success i think one of the successes we had was this summer when we had started prepping by printing out some of the buildings we oh, had yeah. patrons help us paint the buildings. That and, was a lot of fun. And do um, that. So that was a lot. That was pretty neat. And they got excited about that. And they helped us paint uh, at least a handful of the, the, the city. I don't know, that dozen or so buildings we have. Yes. Um, we uh, we play tested with patrons. And that was pretty neat. Oh, uh, yeah. Because they gave us feedback on the scenarios. So I think that uh, they they landed much better when we were at the convention and now if we bring it back here and we start running it here again, it will, it will run a lot better here as well. Absolutely. So, and I'm now at the point where I feel like Chris basically wrote half the scenarios. I wrote half the scenarios that, uh, I could go through and run Chris's stuff Mm -hmm. to a large degree since I played through them. And he could probably run all the stuff that I have if oh, I yeah. punch up my notes I mean, a little bit. I feel fairly comfortable with the entire story at this point because we've gone through most of the scenarios at least twice together. Yeah, a couple of them we ran an extra time or two because when I did my first chase scenario the first time, I was really unhappy. I was more unhappy with it than the players were. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. And the other thing is over plan what you want to throw into the scenario, but be ready to discard stuff. Oh, yeah. Because there was some stuff that we didn't get to use, but there were also some places where I was like, I need something to fit in here. I need another <laughs> character encounter or I need another magical thing encounter. Mm-hmm. And I think also be willing to give out more more prizes to the players. So, ooh, here's 100 gold coins or 
here's a magical item or here's a big old gym. Um, but I will say that having handout props was my favorite part. So the one scenario that I wanted to run that didn't make, um, I had a heart that I had all doctored up that <laughs> one of the creatures types it had, they had human hearts in them and they were made of clay. And so the players could figure out, Oh my gosh, if we just destroy the heart, blah, blah, blah. Well, before they do that, you basically, they knock up one really hard and you go, Oh, this pops out and it's the heart. And so to get to hand that to the players, it looks like a, a heart with a glowing rune on it and clay. And I realize that this may be on beyond the comfortability. They have the level of comfort for some librarians. Um, but honestly, it's the teen room and they play ga- video games of all ratings. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's not that bad. Zombie video games are real popular. Um, and it was not, I mean, it was kind of realistic heart, but it wasn't real realistic, but there were also little tokens that were scattered around the town that if the players found them, they could destroy them and keep these clay demons from attacking these different areas. And I had those tokens for the players and I was like, all right, here they are. And they're like, well, we throw them away. I'm like, okay, throw them. I'm like, well, we just destroy them. I'm like, all right, go ahead and destroy them. <laughs> they wouldn't destroy them. They looked at them like, we don't, we don't want to destroy your prop. And I'm like, no, you said you destroy it. It's not destroyed or thrown away until you destroy it or throw it away. It is a lot of fun to make the players actually have to physically deal with the thing. And they absolutely rebelled. They destroyed (laughs) one of them and say, that's what we do to all of them. And I'm like, okay, fine. Um, Which the answer to that, if you really want to have fun with it, is keep pushing until they do it. Yes. But (laughs) we were, I didn't. No. I mean, we were at somebody else's con, so... Yeah. Uh, for my home group, I absolutely would have made them do it because they were little, just little tokens with a symbol that I scrolled in or inscribed in them when I was watching TV in air dry clay. So they were cheap and you can rehydrate the clay, I believe, and reuse it if you want to. Mm-hmm. It's not, not a big deal, but <laughs> it's so, so much fun to sort of turn their expectations on their heads. You got these, what look like finely crafted props and then they have to deal with it. It's kind of interesting because, especially with like Dungeon World and a lot of RPGs too, you can run it with minimal stuff, but the more just little things you put in there, uh, the more you get the players engaged, the more, honestly, the more fun they end up having. Very true. We were dealing with, oh, we've got this many bad guys, this many player characters, this many NPCs. And we're like, well, to make it a little bit more special, uh, we laser cut out uh, a bunch. Chris designed... Uh, bad guy tokens, mm-hmm. uh, animal tokens, and basically just had a symbol on them and a number so that we knew which ones they were. And also tokens for each of the character classes because we didn't yep. want to make a male and a female of each of the different things in each of the different races for all the character types. We're like, you know, if we just put the symbol for the class, then whatever that patron or that uh, convention goer in this case wants to play, they know that, hey, this is the barbarian or the bard oh, yeah. or the paladin or whatever. And yeah, especially with my players, a lot of times they looked at that and then they had a lot of fun with the combat situations where they're like, oh, well, maybe I can do this. And then I, they came up with a lot of ideas to do things that they would not have normally thought of because they got to actually look at what was happening and deal with it. Right, right, right. Uh, now, of course, we don't play an inch by inch no. measurement system so it's like oh yeah you want to get to there and do the thing sure you can do it or no it's a little too far put your thing halfway there put your move your token halfway there 
because Dungeon World is more of a zone type of, hey, you are close enough or mm-hmm. you're not. It's not you're two inches away, move two spaces and, and then hack and slash. Um, uh, though they do have a thing called hack and slash <laughs> as <laughs> yeah. one of the moves. Some players like the kind of movement systems like that. Some players don't. We find at the age group that the teen room tends to run at, um, the less rules you throw in at them, uh, the more they enjoy it. Right, 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 right. Well, the less, like, very detailed, nuanced rules. Fewer barriers to entry is what you're looking for. Oh, yeah. Um, Get them in quick. And then also, uh, in Dungeon World and a lot of role-playing games, you have statuses. So, I was like, Chris, we need a way to mark statuses on these things. (laughs) And so, we workshopped it, and we came up with, you know, a little plus symbol that you would put over and slide it right over the barbarian, so you knew that he had plus one on his rolls, or... Minus one on his rolls or whatever, mm-hmm. depending on which different shape was there. Then we had temporary tokens that we'd be able to give to people. And since they were all custom handmade, and we could have done it out of foam, we could have printed them on cardstock, we could have done a bunch of different ways to do it. And I don't think that really mattered so much that they're like, oh, this is something you put the effort into and mm-hmm. it shows willing in such a way. Previously, in previous years, I just used colored cubes. Folks thought that was really special and neat as well. Right. But you know, change things up and, and sort of make your presentation, you know, flexible because we didn't have serpent men tokens, clay golem tokens, um, uh, raccoon tokens. We had right. animal tokens, monster tokens, citizen tokens. And yet just and it worked. those physical interactions, when you get a player to be able to actually touch and feel the things, right. it just adds a little bit more and the players get excited about that. And if you're already into role-playing games, you're saying, well, just use painted miniatures. Well, that's not a thing we have the budget for, but we had a budget for a laser cutter, so that's what we got. <laughs> because that was cheaper. Yeah, well, it's used for other things. We like to tell our boss. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, by and large, I'm going to say that all of the little details that we did to make it better was time that was just as well spent as our, our designing our scenarios out. Um, mm-hmm. I think with a scenario, you can just have a, here's this creature's goal, here's the creature's stats, here's five potential encounters, here's the motivations or potential reactions from each of those encounters. Um, and in fact, I just listened to a Ken and Robin talk about stuff podcast where they talked about, instead of calling them encounters, you talk of what it was opportunities for action, all right, mm-hmm. or something. I don't remember exactly what they call it, but basically, you don't say what each one of these encounters is going to be, good, bad, or otherwise. But it's like, oh, there is going to be a parade through town of nobles. And it could be, oh, we want to find nobles to suck up to and be nice and be friends. Or we want to find one of them who has a large alchemy collection so that we can go rifle through their components. Or we want to go and sell our services to someone who hates that noble because he irritated me because all of his retinue was standing in front of me and I didn't get to see the parade. All these different things that the players can choose to interact with. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Dungeon World excels but also handing it off to another GM yeah. makes it a little more problematic. Absolutely. So anyway, I loved it. I had a lot of fun. Um, Chris, what would you do differently next year? I, mm, I'm not sure. I loved it. I, and I had a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun to run. I think I would actually add more, as you said, opportunities, more little things that could potentially happen based on how the players dealt with it. I had a lot of, I guess you'll say, role play 
potential in my scenarios that the players just weren't interested in. So there are a lot of times where I was trying to make up fights on the fly off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. So more opportunities for every type of player and not just my type of player. Right, 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 right. Um, I would like, I think if, if I was going to be doing stuff more here in the library and at conventions is more of the fast introductory stuff. It's like if we yeah. could do a one hour scenario regularly, I think that that would be more exciting. So if we set up at the con, we're just doing, say if we set up the whole town of Cadastral with the tower and all of that again, mm-hmm. right? If we didn't worry about the scenarios interconnecting, we didn't worry about any of that nonsense, but every hour we ran an encounter yeah. or three, right? It's like something really small, something very fast. People learn the system. It's like, okay, we're going to do negotiations. We're going to do a fight. We're going to do a this. And then it's, then it's done. And then if they want to stay and they want to do the next thing, you know, a good festival setting might be nice for that or something that lets you get, get a whole bunch of stuff done. But I think, that's a way to move people in. It's like, oh, you don't know what you're doing? Let me show you the game. You can play it in an hour and you can move on or you can stay. Yeah. You know, and that's what we want to do here at Shushcon as well is have a table of things that keep going on. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, the other thing I would say is make sure that when you're, especially if it's going to have to travel either to your other branches or to a convention, that you don't plan something that is too large to fit in your vehicle. Yeah. Which I'm not saying we did, but I'm saying that by the time we left for the convention, we had abandoned those plans entirely. I'm just saying we toted that line real hard. Yes, yes. <laughs> our, our car was full. So um, that was exciting. Um, have a good place to display and hide all your, and keep all your stuff either out where people can see it or hidden away where it's not in the way. Because right now, our teen room is a disaster area. Yeah. It's... Uh, we're, we're working on hiding spots. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, okay. I think we're done. I think this is it. We are still obviously tired from the convention, <laughs> even though it's not like the day after the con, but it is it is January. And we're already gearing up to our next activities. Yes. Oh, I guess that's the other thing we should talk about is we're going to be going to the peer-to-peer event. No, that's wrong. The P2P Pathways to Possibility event here in Polly's Island. Uh, probably the week that this releases or the week after, or maybe the week before, I don't know, um, where we are taking our library and a bunch of other libraries and a whole bunch of other businesses and counties and whatnot are going to be there showing off stuff to eighth graders, I believe, is the target demographic. I Yes, I think it's um, like four to 5,000 eighth graders. Yes, yes. And they're going to be passing through and we're going to have all this thing set up. Uh, we're also probably going to have our 3D printer and who knows what else. But all of this nonsense is going to be available and beautiful and on display. And hopefully we can get pictures with lots of kids there uh, picking up and looking at and not wandering off with our stuff. <laughs> we'll so, see how that works. So that's exciting. Um, I think we're done. That's it. Chris, um, you still can't be found on the internet. You can find me all over the internet as Walsfio. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast and 
Nephilope, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend Lynn Theory. Thank you for listening. Games and Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System. 